Impress your friends, amaze your coworkers, make your family proud. Here's what you need to know. I'm going to tell you what you need to know. I'm going to tell you what you need to hear. Fourth quarter of the program begins right now. We give you the things you need to know during this portion of the uh, program. It's uh, proudly brought to you by our friends at Easton Roofing, Joe Spiker. In fact, he was just in here cutting uh, a new spot, Easton Roofing. Uh, get that roof checked, inspections, estimates. They're free always with Easton Roofing. No payment collected until you're 100% satisfied. Commercial, yes. Uh, in fact, they can write up to 30-year warranties on flat commercial roofs. Only the best roofing companies in the country can do that because only the best are allowed to work with the best roofing manufacturers here in town. That's Easton Roofing. Uh, Joe Spiker and his team are right there online at EastonRoofing.com. That's EastonRoofing.com. Uh, let's start with uh, a little basketball from the uh, weekend. We'll start with Jerome Tang. Uh, the K-State Wildcats got a big win at home against BYU. He said they wanted to get out to an early lead, and they did just that. Yeah, you know, good starts, you know, and uh, there was a focus and uh you know, we took we took the type of shots we, we we talked about in practice taking, and it gave us that opportunity. But you know, they're a great team, and them dudes can score, right? Like they score in a variety of ways. So we knew it was going to be a game of runs. Uh, we just happened to have more runs than they did, and was once we got the lead, we, we were able to keep them at bay for the most part. Good starts. Yep, twelve two. Puts you in a pretty good frame. Yeah, and uh, it puts them back into the mix now for uh, getting a spot in the NCAA tournament. I think they're still on the outside looking in, but uh, they've got a chance to win their next couple. Uh, according to Ken Palm, they're 80% to beat West Virginia at home. They go to Cincinnati, uh, only 31% to win that, but they're going to need to find a way to win it. I think that's a much more winnable game than maybe I, I would give them more than a 31% chance uh, to win it, but I think Cincinnati's going to be rightfully favored. Uh, 18% chance to beat Kansas, 34% chance to win at home against Iowa State. They need to find a way to win three of those four. Yes. If they do, then they're in a a pretty good spot. Split two here, and you're probably in. Uh, Dennis Gates and his team fall yet again, uh, this time to Arkansas, as the uh, quantity of games, what are they at now? How many got left? Four? Uh, four? Four left. Four left. Four opportunities. Uh, Gates was asked if he's uh, talked about ending the losing streak going into this game. No, I, I focus on one day at a time, one game at a time. Uh, I've never done that in a winning streak, and I definitely don't count anything outside of that. I thought our guys mentally prepared in the right way. Um, our spirits are high. Uh, our coaching staff is doing a great job. Uh, at the end of the day, what you see is a team playing hard and giving their very best no matter what our circumstances are, and there's no excuses. You're the Tiger fan. Your reaction? Blah, blah, blah. I said it this morning. There's literally nothing that's going to come out of the man's mouth yeah. that you're going to feel good about. I, I don't know what we would expect him to say that would make us, you know, make yeah. anybody feel better. But nothing. you know, the one part is, coaching staff's doing a great job. I mean, to me, there you want to take some heat off your kids. Like that's the part where I'm like, well, if the coach staff's doing a great job, but yet you have yet to win a conference game. You're, it, in some ways, it could be, again, nothing the man can say is going to sound good. But that, I'm kind of like, it's a little bit of selling your players out, isn't it? 
Coaching staff doing yeah. a great job. Well, then it's the players' fault. Yeah, with, with that. But if you ask about the players, all oh, players, this, it's some coaches will try to take whatever angle you've got and say that that's not a negative. If you'd ask them about the players, you probably would have said, well, you know, players are doing their their job, they're doing this, they're doing that. Some some guys need to play better, but th- there's no way to pretty up zero fourteen, man. There's just no way. No, it's. Uh, and, I mean, they. No one in Missouri history had ever started zero and ten in conference play, and they've tagged five losses onto the worst. What was tied for the worst start in the history of the program in conference play? They've more than halved it again. It, it, I mean, it's on. It, it's unbelievable. It's pretty amazing. I got to be honest. <laughs> I mean, and and none of us saw anything even remotely like this coming. Nope. Nope. You couldn't have. Coming off an 11 wins, they lost some dudes, but come on. And it was the same, a lot of the same stuff. I mean, you you just still see a lot of the one guy, one guy goes off, great, but you, you, you still got nothing else. You had 28 of 30 from the free throw line, and then you lose by 15. I mean, uh, there seems to be no no remedy for it, and uh, uh, I, I don't I don't I don't know how you completely compartmentalize these two games or these two seasons because there's never ever been anything like this before. No. So no, I mean, I it, it's it's well, what does it mean? Hell if I know. Because there's no historical precedent for going 11 and seven in conference, and then at the max winning four games, they're yeah. probably going to win one if they get to that point. A 10 game drop in one season in conference play, I bet it's never happened. I bet it's re- but it's happened maybe twice. I'll have to go back and look at that, see see where that it is. But I can't imagine a team dropping especially 10 without games a coaching change. Yeah, yeah, it's unbelievable. And especially in a year where, like, year, the, the previous year was year one. Yes. And you had success. And then it's like, no, we've lost our way. It's it's mind-boggling. Uh, Kansas uh, destroyed Texas in the first half. Uh, Bill Self talking about his team. Uh, said they did everything they could in that first half. Yeah, we were great today. That was uh, – guys were turned up. Crowd was great. Uh, so efficient, took care of the ball. A lot of good things uh, uh, that we did that first half, probably about as well as we played all year long. And then second half, we just kind of pieced it together. But, you know, all the starters scored and the bench was good and guys got a little bit of rest. It, it, it was a good day. And, and and obviously Texas is talented, but we did a, we did a good job. And, and defensively, we weren't any good the second half, but offensively, we were just so efficient. Uh, 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 and even when we didn't score, I think we shot 14 to 21 the second half, which isn't enough shots. I mean, I'll be the first to say that. We, we had 10 turnovers. We had we missed our free throws, and I bet you Hunter missed two or three bunnies. That 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 that. I mean, that could have been a much more impressive second half. Curly just jumping in. Turnovers. How'd that go? Turnover. Shut up, Greg. <laughs> Knock me out with one punch when he comes in next time. I'm not. I'm not, I'm not tangling with him. 
I don't think he's tangling with you either. I think you'll be okay. Probably so. I think you're going to be interesting. Fine. We would just both kind of look at each other and go, so, what's up? Yeah. <laughs> Curly saves his real venom for Bucati. Yeah, that's true. I, I said, hey, behind your... What was... He asked Nate if he'd been given a prescription for testicles. Oh, that's... <laughs> On Friday morning... <laughs> I was like, oh, my God. It's one of the funnier lines. Ruthless. You, know, you want somebody who can, low key, yes, who can will, deliver a line? Yes. He will deadpan oh carve you like a turkey. And you won't even realize it's happened at first. Wait, what now? You just pulled my soul out of my body. How did that happen? Uh, poor Nate's been on the, some strays today. For he has got Nate. some strays, for sure. All right, uh, this afternoon, we mentioned the uh, court storming that happened at Wake Forest. Bill Self was asked about it this afternoon. Well, I, I certainly don't think it ever should be let them do as they want. I think, uh, uh, and we've, we've, we've probably been stormed on uh, uh, about as much as anybody, I would think. At least there was a period of time, like every, every uh, road loss we had on a home court, it seemed like it was a court storming. Uh, we've actually gotten uh, uh, better at it because of the way you can prep your team in certain ways. And a lot of the the, the safety measures <clears throat> up until recently, I think, has been with the, <clears throat> the visiting team uh, educating their own players how to handle it. And I mean like calling a timeout with 15 seconds left and it's a 10-point game just to get – guys out of the game or whatever or tell them okay don't go out there by stand next to the sideline you know those things happen but even with that that should not be the responsibility of the visiting team to educate their guys i i don't like it i would say would uh uh legal outlaw but i would think the leagues could certainly put stiff enough penalties down uh on places that do that would certainly deter those things from ever happening, uh, at least in my standpoint. And, and the one that, that everyone's talking about as of recently, that was one of the quickest ones I've ever seen. I mean, that that happens so fast. And if you don't have the proper security in a situation like that, uh, it, it would be hard to imagine that fans do not come in contact with visiting players, which could lead, obviously, to injuries or maybe uh, 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 legal things down the road. So uh, I would hope they could just totally do away with them. We haven't stormed a court here. I don't know if we ever have in in you know my time, but even before that, and and I'm not saying that 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 in any way, shape, or form that that's the way it has to be or we're the standard, but. Uh, uh, I do believe uh, it's gotten way out of control. Just be a top five team every every week for twenty five years. They, that um, helps. I'd forgotten about this, but that's a coach who had a player get checked by a K State student in twenty fifteen. They stormed the court, uh, and a player checked Jamari Trailer um, as they were kind of coming off. And, and of course, the tradition at K State was to gather at the press row. And that's right as Bruce Weber and Bill Self were shaking hands, so a whole crowd plunged on that. But prior to that even happening, a guy 
Jamari Trailer was walking one way, and a kid was he was walking by him, jumped into the air and checked into the side of him, and I don't I don't know. Nothing's going to change. Michael Swain of 24-7 has a quote of Nick Timberlake uh, today. said he doesn't want court storming taken out of college basketball. He said the KU players know to be near the sidelines if they think a court storm might happen at the end of the game. So like Bill Self said, it's the job of the opposing team to discontinue participating in the game and come gather and huddle on the side to prepare for the impending violation of law. It's just stupid. Yes. <laughs> just having fun. Except for the ones that aren't. Yeah. Except for the ones that aren't. And even the ones that are can hurt somebody or themselves. Yeah, does it matter if someone f- flies care. into you full pelt yeah. and blows out your knee? Does it matter if they were in a good mood or a bad well, mood? I, the discussion today, and Seth Greenberg is the one who said it, and then I saw it on the Caitlin Clark situation. He's like, every one of these people, they're not just running out with joy. They're running out filming themselves running out onto the court. Yes. Which adds like, another look a, a at new me, level. I'm of, out here. Look. Yeah. Look at me. Which means now not only are you, are you dangerous, me, but you. I'm over here. Look. Yep. Bingo. K State tonight uh, will attempt to contain their fan base as nine and a half point favorites when they take on West Virginia six o'clock on ESPN two. I don't think they'll they'll storm the court. You know, if they win. Seems unlikely. Uh, Houston is the new number one team in the Associated Press poll, top 25. Fifth school to hold the top spot. Purdue is up one spot to number two. UConn falls to three. Tennessee and Marquette are four and five. Kansas moves up two spots to seven. Iowa State drops down to eight. Baylor is down to 15. Texas Tech and BYU both fell out of the poll with your uh, top 25. So... um, Big 12 well-represented. Yep. Four. Uh, one, two, three, four. Four. The Bengals officially placed the almost $22 million franchise tag on T. Higgins, to which we say boo. Boo, franchise tag. You knew that they were going to do that because they weren't going to let it happen. You got it? I think that did it. <laughs> the door. The door is alive. The door keeps blowing open, then I get the sun right in my face. There's like one sliver, and the one sun is sliver, right, like right through in it face. into your cornea. Uh, Josh Jacobs, Saquon Barkley, Derek Henry, and Tony Pollard are all expected to hit the free agent market as a retaliation for them trying to come up with a running back union within the union. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um but Jacobs, Barkley, Henry, and Pollard are all expected to become free agents. Uh, the Raiders do say they're attempting to sign Jacobs to a long-term deal. Interested in going after any of those guys? No. Really? No? It'd have to be really sweet money. I just... What do you mean by really like, sweet like, money? Well, a lot or none? Um, not a, Probably not the kind of money. I, I don't want a long-term investment in, a, in, a, in a, a running back that's going on to a second contract. That's that's just too much, too many miles on those Do on you those think anybody's guys. going to give Pollard, that? Pollard, no. That's probably not, probably true. Probably, they may be able to be gettable for a, a low price, but Pollard maybe has the, 
Does he have the fewest miles of those three? We know Derrick Henry has the most. I don't know. Saquon Barkley's been hurting so much. That yeah. So how do you how do you judge that? He's didn't have quite as many miles, but he's got a, had, had some some dings here and there. Uh, after forty years of covering the NFL, Peter King has retired. Yep. Uh, got to Sports Illustrated in did I see nineteen eighty? Was that right? Probably. Uh, let's see. Before sport at Cincinnati Inquirer mm. in nineteen eighty, from eighty to eighty five. Newsday from eighty five to ninety, um, and then in nineteen ninety, started with Sports Illustrated, and then later moved on to the, his Monday uh, morning quarterback. Andy Reid, his last interview, I guess, mm-hmm. for for a Super Bowl, last two Super Bowl interviews. But. Some legends walking away. Yep. Uh, and finally, on Andy Reid, as we talked about earlier in the first hour, if you missed it, catch it on the podcast, 810WHB.com. Uh, Tom Pelissero of the NFL Network reported today that possibly, maybe, they're going to begin to kind of Consider. explore considering the idea of perhaps possibly making Andy Reid the highest paid coach. That's about right. There were seven qualifiers yes. in the tweet. <laughs> He's going to be the highest paid coach. Yes, that's we, we just don't know when and by how much. Yeah. And he deserves it. So, which if that means Sean Payton's like 18, right? And he's the highest paid coach right now? Andy Reid's going to be in the 20 to 25 range, I'm guessing. Just look back at the his last year in Philadelphia. Even coming to KC, you know, organization that's had some had had very little success, no postseason success for a while. That the next eleven seasons would have gone the way they have for Andy Reid is kind of uh, no one could have predicted this. The yeah. most ardent Chiefs fan would have predicted. By the way, here's where it's going to take off. A guy who'd been to four consecutive Super Bowls now was going to find his stride. It's one of the more amazing career arcs in the history of professional sports. In my view. That's amazing. <laughs> it's if, you, if, if it was a movie, you wouldn't believe it. Yeah. All right, let's take a break. Uh, we're going to talk to Matt Miller, ESPN Draft Insider, Draft Analyst. Uh, talk about uh, his article he wrote, 16 true first-round talents, uh, according to him. We're going to talk about it, how it might fit with the Kansas City Chiefs. we do that next here in the program. All right, our NFL draft coverage today is brought to you by our friends at Twin Peaks. TwinPeaksRestaurant.com, if you want to find them online. Independence Olathe and in the Northland, a uh, great spot to watch you some court stormings uh, after some college basketball games. Uh, what better way to watch uncontrolled mayhem than with a 29-degree uh, man-sized draft beer, a made-from-scratch menu, the most scenic views anywhere around. Eat, drink, scenic views. Get them at Twin Peaks. I can guarantee you this. If you're watching the game at Twin Peaks, you're not going to get, uh, you know, decleated. Uh, when the game's over, uh, you got that going for you when it's all said and done. Let's talk some draft. Uh, Matt Miller does a fantastic job covering the NFL draft for the ESPN. He's uh, written a couple of great things. One, his uh, latest two-round mock draft is uh, up there at ESPN, so you can uh, check out where he's got the Kansas City Chiefs going. Also loved his uh, breakdown of the 16 players that he has first-round grades on that are the true first-rounders that we talk about. He's with us right now. Matt, how are you, sir? 
Doing well. Appreciate you guys having me. Yeah, appreciate the uh, time and uh, love the piece on the uh, 16 first-rounders. We talk about it all the time that, listen, just because you take a guy in the first round doesn't mean he's a real first-round talent. And, you know, I, I'm curious, off the top of my head, have you, have you is this something you do every year? How many are the real first-rounders? Yeah. And how does this year compare to previous years? Yeah, this is something I do every year. Last year it was a struggle to find – Normal, like a normal number is like 15. You know, 15, 13 to 15 is probably the average. Um, last year was a struggle at times. I also think last year I was just in a good mood when I wrote the article. So I put, you know, I look back on it and I'm like, wait, I, I didn't land on a, you know, final first round grade on a lot of those players. Uh, this year, this year I was trying to be, you know, pretty strict about it. How many, you know, actually cutting guys. And, you know, trying to factor in things like positional value. So this year, 16 players. That can change at the combine. Uh, Quinone Mitchell from Toledo was the next guy. And I'll tell you, it was so hard to draw that line above his name and say, okay, here's what the line's going to be. So I would not be shocked when the combine's over if that number gets a little bit closer to 20, just because this is such a really strong draft class in terms of top-end talent. Yeah, and uh, let, let's focus on for us here in Kansas City. We're thinking wide out and offensive tackle. You got four wide outs. You got three offensive tackles. Uh, what's the lowest you think any of those four wide outs or any of those three offensive tackles get in this draft? Yeah, maybe 20. Uh, Brian Thomas is the fourth wide out mentioned there. The other guys, uh, Marvin Harrison Jr., Malik Neighbors, Roman Dune say they could be gone in the top six picks. So they're going to be gone pretty early. Brian Thomas is a top 20 pick all day. The tackles, Joe Alt, Chiefs fans remember his dad. Mm-hmm. He's going to be drafted in the top 10. Uh, and then we have Olu Fashano from Penn State and Talise Fuaga from Oregon State. I think they'll both come off the board in the top 12 picks. There's just too many teams that haven't needed tackle. So I think for Kansas City fans, if you're staying at 32, um, whether that's because they just stay there or if it's like last year where no one would let you trade up because you're the reigning Super Bowl champion. If you're looking at 32, I think that's where you're, you start to get to that next tier wide receivers like uh, Keon Coleman from Florida State, Adnan Mitchell and Xavier Worthy from Texas, Lad McConkey from Georgia. As far as offensive tackle, this is going to be really interesting uh, because – after the, the top two guys, they're all right tackles this year. Tyler Guyton from Oklahoma, J.C. Latham from Alabama, um, they're, they're right tackles. And even we get into, like, Graham Barton from Duke, he's probably going to be a guard in the NFL. Jordan Morgan from Arizona, maybe a tackle, probably a guard in the NFL. So it's a year where it's much stronger at right tackle at the end of round one than it is at left tackle. Um, I, you know, what do you make of – you know, the idea of trading up this year, like like Joe Alt. Well, give me the window. I know some people have him all the way up at number five. What, what's the what's the yeah. highest he could go? What's the lowest he could go? Highest is three, uh, I think, because New England is a wild card. The Patriots need everything. It's a whole new regime, and we don't really know what the priorities are going to be for Elliot Wolf, who's going to be running the personnel side. We don't know for Gerard Mayo. You know, maybe they just say, Hey, we got this first pick's got to be a good one. We need to make sure this first pick is a, a blue chip player. That would be Joe Walt. They can also trade that pick. Five to the LA Chargers is, is certainly reasonable. Seven to the Tennessee Titans. I can't see him getting past 10, which is the New York Jets. So your window's three to 10. And interestingly enough, you know, those teams in, in that spot are teams that have big, big needs and clear, clearly defined needs. So, you know, a trade back target in that group. There's not there's not an obvious one where you could say okay this team is in good shape they could trade back and and you know especially all the way back to 32 to where 
you know, it's just it would be so expensive to, to convince one of those teams to move out. Yeah, and I think that's the thing. And you know, we we saw the Chiefs go from twenty seven to ten, obviously to get Patrick Mahomes. It took an extra first and a third uh, to get up there. Yeah. Is is Joe Wall? Because early on there was some folks that had the Penn State kid as the top O tackle. You're pretty confident Joe Walt's the best of the bunch. Yeah, I am, and he is for me. Obviously, you know there might be teams that run a certain scheme that say, "No, we like we like Fashano a little bit better." I think if you look at the the tape, the twenty twenty three tape, Joe Alt was better, and it's just that's the deciding factor for me. Uh, Fashano might have a higher ceiling. You know, he's he hasn't started as many games. I think he he moves a little bit better. He's certainly not as strong. He's not as polished. So you can talk yourself into the upside, but. If I'm a team that needs a left tackle, I plug Joel in, and I don't worry about that position again for a long, long time. Um, all right. Uh, in, in if you get the third one of the bunch, which is the kid from Oregon State, right? Um, mm-hmm. That's that's where most people have him, at least. Uh, if, if you end up with the third one of the bunch, are we still talking about a guy who definitively plays, you know, in your mind, left tackle? So he's a right tackle for Oregon State the last two years. And so it's it would be a transition. I think he could do it. We saw him take some snaps um, at the Senior Bowl playing on the left side. But this is a 330-pound, you know, kind of people mover. So I, I think with guys like that, it, you just keep them on the right side. Like, that's where you played and you've been great. Just stay there and be great at that. So, again, that's what's interesting about this class is looking at the offensive tackles, looking at pure left tackles, guys who played left tackle in college, there aren't many. There are two out of the six that I have in my top 32 have actually played left tackle in college. The other four are college right tackles. So and we mentioned that the, you know there are 16 guys that you say are definitively first-round picks. There are other guys that are prospects. How deep is the prospect pool of offensive tackles that maybe you can draft and develop and that you think might have an outside shot of being a starting left tackle in the NFL? Yeah, I mentioned Jordan Morgan from Arizona. Uh, he's a, a little bit of a shorter guy. Um, we'll get to see. He didn't work out at the Senior Bowl. We'll get to see him this week. He had a, he's like one one and a half years off an ACL injury, so he's still kind of developing a little bit. Um, I think he's someone more of like a finesse guard, but he could or finesse tackle, excuse me, but he could be in that range. Patrick Paul from Houston is someone that would be interesting. He's right now uh, my number fifty four overall player. So you'd be talking about a little bit of a reach, but great movement historically great arm length and wingspan but again a project coming out of that dana holgerson system it's going to be a work in progress in the run game um so you got to figure that out i'm telling you other than that i'm actually scrolling right now my list of tackles they're all right tackles this year like blake fisher at notre dame right tackle you know it's just so many of these guys have been true college right tackles christian jones at texas is the next one on my list to where it's you know, and maybe not great news for Chiefs fans, but if you're trying to solve the left tackle position, it might be, uh, if you're not comfortable with Juan Yer Morris, uh, it might be a situation where a stopgap veteran of free agency like last year with Donovan Smith is the better move for 2024. Talking to Matt Miller, ESPN's NFL Draft Analyst, NFL Draft Insider here. You mentioned the wideouts, four definitive first-round picks. Uh, Marvin Harrison Jr., is he light years ahead of everybody else and there's three good ones, or is he the top dog but the others aren't far behind? He's the top dog, the other guys aren't far behind. I have Harrison as my number two overall player. Malik Neighbors from LSU is my number three. Roma Dunze from Washington is my number four. I mean, they're they're all great prospects, I, I think, in, in a – quote-unquote normal draft, you can make an argument for each of them as being the top player. And they're very different. That's what makes it fun. You know, Harrison is 6'5", 
215 and has some of the best body control and agility I've ever seen. Neighbors, six foot 200, is going to run a 4-3. I mean, he's just explosive. Adunze, you know, 6'3", 215, he's an expert at playing physical football. You know, he's great at the 50-50. He's great at the back shoulder fade. Uh, he sets defenders up really well with his routes. So they're all really good players. To me, Harrison is just the most polished of that group. What do you think he's going to be? What does he profile? He's a lot bigger than his dad. Um, what, what, yeah. what Do you have a comp for what he'll be like? A faster A.J. Green? Like, I don't think he's – he's not as physical as a – Julio Jones or a Calvin Johnson. And I think that's what everybody wants to say. Like, oh, you've got this historically great grade on this receiver. Is he Megatron? No, like it's more like, you know, Larry Fitzgerald, A.J. Green, like those smooth, you know, guys who are just technicians at the position but are still very, very athletic. And I don't – we're not going to see Harrison work out at the combine. He's done enough on tape. He doesn't need to. But were he to work out, it would have been a great performance, even at six four two fifteen, because he is he's he's fast. I mean, it's like you know, it's, he probably would have been in the four low four fours, but he's strong, fast, great body control, great balance. Everything he does is like a, it's like watching a professional wide receiver, even though he's twenty one years old. Yeah, I don't think he gets beyond five or six in this draft. How far down do you think a Malik Neighbors or an Adunze could fall? Yeah, not very. You know, right now, the last mock draft I did, you mentioned I had those guys going at four, five, six because these so many teams need a wide receiver. So the Cardinals definitely need one. The Chargers could take one. Uh, the Giants, that's a big need if there's not a quarterback there. The Falcons, only wide receiver they have on roster right now is Drake London. All their other receivers are free agents. The Bears could take one at nine. The Jets could certainly take one at ten. So, you know, those guys are not getting out of the top ten. And, and I think even if they started to slide, that is where we might see a team like, you know, like the Bears. Maybe they come up a little bit to secure a top wide receiver for Caleb Williams. Uh, tell me, what uh, what's the depth like after those four first-rounders? Uh, how, how deep and how, how high quality are is the next group of wideouts? It's really good. Um, this is a year where I have seven guys in my top 32, uh, eight eight, nine, ten of my top 40. So it's a really deep class. And I think that is where, like we've talked about with left tackle, you gotta, you got to realize where the stack is of the board, where the value is going to be. I think it's much more likely left tackle becomes a stopgap free agent because it's going to be really rich at wide receiver at pick 32. And I mentioned, you know, guys from Texas, Xavier Worthy, I think is a dream fit for this offense with 4-2 speed, vertical separation ability, a fantastic punt returner. I mean, you're, I'm not going to ever compare anyone to Tyreek Hill, but you're starting to hear someone that can do a lot of the Tyreek Hill things different than a Michael Hardman or a Sky Moore or Kadarius Tony because it's not a gadget player. He, he's not somebody that you know dominated on jet sweeps and screen plays in college. He actually ran routes in a in a pro style offense at Texas. So having that four two speed, you know, melts face mask, he's got vertical stretchability and he did it running an actual route tree. I think that's where you get excited about a player like that. Matching well with Kansas City after seeing them swing on some speed guys, but those were all more gadget players as opposed to a developed wide receiver. Uh, so it sounds like if the Chiefs stay put at 32, you think there'll be a quality wide receiver there for sure? I do. And, you know, staying put at 32 might not be what they want to do. We saw last year they were trying like crazy to trade up. No one wants to answer that phone call. There's very little incentive by other NFL teams to help Brett Beach and Patrick Mahomes get better right now. And, and that's 
unfortunately, it's the reality we're living in. Teams do not want to help Kansas City. So a trade-up for Kansas City might be more expensive than it is for you know, the Baltimore Ravens or for the Detroit Lions just because, you know, you can back-to-back Super Bowl champs. No one wants to be the team that, that helps them, you know, build this dynasty into something bigger. If you're at 32 and you take a receiver, there's probably some things he's not great at. He's not as polished maybe as the guys that go in the top five. So in your opinion, what do you think is something that, okay, he's got this, but we can teach that. What are the things that he needs to have that you absolutely cannot teach and the things he's lacking, okay, they can teach him later? Well, I think you need an elite an elite trait. You know, it's like we just keep using Xavier Worthy from Texas as the example here. Elite trait, speed, vertical stretchability. Where does he lack? Well, he's going to be about 175 pounds on a 6'1 frame. So that's the reason he's available at 32 because he's undersized. And so, you know, a, a guy who's is great on speed. You have a usage for him in your scheme. Okay, but he's undersized. We understand that's why he's available. So I think, you know, things that I can on, you need to have an elite trait. You know, I, I really try to stay away from guys who have a, a high percentage of drops because those carry over really highly to the NFL. Like if a guy has a drop problem in college, he's going to have a drop problem in the pros. Um, but I think, you know, things you can coach up, route running. You can coach – DK Metcalf ran three routes in college. You know, he got to the NFL and they said, okay, we need you let's, – let's expand on that. You know, here are your athletic abilities. Let's expand your route tree where, the, where that fits. So I think routes are something you can always work on. Um, but you've got a guy who can't separate in college or has drop problems. I'm going to be pretty far away from that player as far as ranking them. How carefully do you judge somebody who was part of a, a, a duo where both him and Mitchell – is it, it compared to one, yeah. either one of those guys? If he was the only guy, how, how do you judge part of a duo as opposed to one guy? Yeah, it's it's tough. I mean, you gotta you gotta factor in, especially like you can't get stuck box score scouting because you gotta understand he's not getting a ton of the targets because the gobs. I mean, at Texas they have a great tight end in Jatavian Sanders who could also be a top thirty-five pick. So they they really spread the wealth there. So you gotta factor a lot of it in. You know, also it's. Hey, this guy's probably not getting a lot of you know double team attention because of the, the player's opposite him. So, my big thing is I try to put every player in a vacuum and evaluate their skill set and evaluate how well that can translate to the NFL, as opposed to, oh my gosh, he had you know 13 touchdowns this year and, and getting stuck on that. It's more for me about evaluating the skills. You know, LSU has a duo, excuse me, in Malik Neighbors and Brian Thomas Jr., who could both be drafted in the top 20. So. I think we're we're also seeing that you know Alabama for years had duos, uh, LSU had Jamar Chase and Justin and Justin Jefferson at the same time. They're both doing fantastic. So I, I don't ever want to you know not be aware of that, but at the same time, you're really trying to evaluate just a single player by himself. Uh, is trading down uh, there at 32 mentioned No one wants to help Brett Beach, but if you wanted to trade down, uh, would there be lots of people answering the phone, or are they just like, listen, whatever you want to do, we don't want to let you do. I think on a trade down, you would get more. Um, but it, it's always a matter of, you know, you gotta, you, you have to really believe in your board. You know, they did that the year they drafted Chris Jones. worked out mm-hmm. fantastically, you know, because they knew, hey, let's trade back five or six spots. We know a guy's going to be there that we like. Uh, I would be nervous this year if they have not added a top-flight wide receiver in free agency. I would be very nervous to trade back because the top of round two, every one of those teams needs a receiver. I mean, you got the, you got the Carolina Panthers sitting there at 33. They've got a young quarterback who has no one to throw to. So they, you know, you, you've got to worry about that. You have to, New England's right there. You know, the Cardinals are up again. Um, the Chargers are right there. The Titans are right there. So 
um, it would it would be a matter of how far back do you want to trade. Um, I think the best case scenario for that is that a quarterback like a Bo Nix is available. You just try trading back two, three spots to let someone come up and get a quarterback. And you, you look at the board and say, okay, there's three wide receivers we like. Uh, we feel good about this. That's that's really the only way that I think you could you could justify that trade, especially for a team that you know, doesn't doesn't necessarily benefit from the draft capital right now. I mean, Beach has done such a great job of drafting on day three, so you always want more of those picks if you can get them. But um, you know where the where the needs are pre free agency. You know, left tackle, wide receiver, potentially defensive tackle, uh, potentially corner, linebacker. It feels like right now you would want more premium picks as opposed to fewer of them. Uh, the, the Ravens we saw jump up to 32 to get Lamar Jackson because they wanted that fifth year uh, of development time to be able to put that that they slap that extra year on them. You've got the top three quarterbacks uh, if as one of the 16 or as three of the 16 uh, first rounders. How many more quarterbacks do you think will actually end up going in the first round? And could 32 be a coveted spot uh, for the Chiefs to be able to trade down because somebody will want to come up and get a quarterback? there. Yeah, it's, it's certainly in play. It's funny, we always reference the Lamar Jackson thing. It hasn't happened against us. You know, like last year, Will Levis was sitting there, and the Titans took him at 34. Uh, you know, they, they weren't able to come back up and get him uh, at, at 32. So, J.J. McCarthy will go in the first round for Michigan, probably even in the top 10. I don't have him ranked that highly, but he will probably be drafted that high. Bo Nix from Oregon, very good chance he goes in the first round. He needs a good workout this week at the Combine. Uh, he was a little bit uneven at the Senior Bowl, uh, especially early. He got better the longer the week went on. Uh, but I think he's certainly in play and would be the guy that if, if a team is coming up to 32 for a quarterback, I, I'm assuming it's Bo Nix. And it's probably a team you know like the New York Giants it, or, or maybe the New England Patriots that are in the top 40 and maybe don't take a quarterback in round one. It's certainly the Giants but could be motivated because they have multiple second-round picks to where they could say, all right, we're okay, you know, moving up a little bit to make sure we get this quarterback. Uh, D-tackles. If the Chiefs move on from Chris Jones and they want to go that route, any Steve Spagnolo type, uh, you know, he kind of likes the long and linear type guys, any, yeah. any D-tackles or maybe long DNs that could project, project inside, uh, you know, to the style of play that D, uh, Spagnolo likes along that D-line? Yeah, this is a very weak defensive tackle class. And the two D tackles who could go in the first round are shorter guys. Byron Murphy from Texas, 6'1", 6'1", 310. And then we have uh, Jerzon Newton from Illinois, another guy who doesn't match that long linear. I would say someone local, Darius Robinson yep. from Missouri, might be the answer if you're if you're looking at how, how it fits for Spags because he's 6'5", 290. He's, honestly, he's built a lot like Charles Aminihue, uh, maybe a little bit bigger. Uh, but a many who has played inside a lot in his career. He did it at times in Texas. He did it in Houston. Did it in San Francisco. Hasn't done it as much in Kansas City. Uh, but I think Darius Robinson is that player that, that most likely fits that Spags style if you're going to go that way. Because, you know, yes, he's played edge. He has stood up in space. He was 6'5", 290 at the Senior Bowl with 35-inch arms. So that that very, very much fits Steve Spagnuolo to me. And, and 32 is probably the, the floor for his range. I think he could come off the board in the 20s, but there's at least a chance that he's available. Yeah, that was the name that I was thinking, that I could see them kind of shifting him on, you know, to the inside there. And, you know, nine of the 14 selections that Andy Reid had in Philadelphia, nine of his initial, because there was a couple of years where they didn't have a first, but nine of the 14 initial selections he had in Philadelphia were defensive linemen. Now, it hasn't been that concentrated, and he 
theoretically and technically is not in charge of the draft. So it's a little bit different here. But, I, I you know, he likes to be able to pressure people. And uh, and, and I, I think offensive tackle and wideout are, are the biggest needs. But I also know that they feel like you, you got to take defensive linemen early. Last two years, they've taken one of the first round. They did take moved up and took McDuffie ahead of taking Karloftis. But they've taken a first round defensive lineman each of the last two years. So I think that is always something that's in play uh, for the Kansas City Chiefs uh, to do. Uh, Brock Bowers, I want to ask you about him at tight end real quick. Does he go? You know, have we seen like every time like Kellen Winslow Jr. goes super high, uh, Pitts goes really high, and we don't see those guys have the kind of production, and that seems to scare people away from taking a tight end super high, and they go back to going in the you know eleven to twenty range. Uh, what 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 happens with Bowers uh, this year? How high does he go? And you mentioned Sanders at Texas as well. Uh, is that really the class in the tight end uh, group? Yeah, that's it. it's just those two that could be potential top 40 or 50 uh, draft picks. I am not as high on Brock Bowers as my, my colleagues, um, and a lot of that is positional value. You know, you look at what first-round tight ends have done, and historically, not very good. You know, there aren't, there aren't many first-round tight ends around the NFL right now where you're like, especially who are on the original team. There aren't many of those guys who are, you know, blue-chip players. Kyle Pitts has, has you know, had a great rookie year, hasn't really been able to follow that up. I don't think it's all his fault, but hasn't been able to really follow that up. Um, the, the rest of them have all been traded, you know, like the TJ Hawkinson, or they just haven't worked out. Uh, we'll see if Dalton Kincaid changes that, but I, I do think that factors into where if you're drafting in the top 10, you, that has to be a blue chip position. Has to be. Quarterback, left tackle, wide receiver, pass rusher, or corner. Like If, if I'm running a, a draft room ever, that would be the only thing we would ever do in the top 10 is one of those blue chip positions. It's, it's very expensive contract-wise. It's so valuable draft asset-wise that if, if you're if your best player on the board is tight end, trade back and take the tight end. Don't you know, get extra draft capital for that pick. Don't draft the tight end in the top 10 is where I would be at. But I, I like Bowers. I just I think he's more of a middle round one guy. He's probably going to come in this week, guys, at six two two thirty. You know that's that's not a big tight end. That's not Travis Kelsey. That's not George Kittle even. Um, and Kittle's one of the leaner tight ends that's you know having a lot of success in the NFL. So I think you know fifteen to twenty is much more likely for Bowers, and I think thirty to forty is much more likely likely for JT Sanders. Final four time with Matt Miller from ESPN. He does a great job breaking down the NFL draft. Our final four is brought to you by the University of Kansas Health System. If you suffer an orthopedic injury in everyday life or playing sports, the University of Kansas Health System offers orthopedic walk-in care. Four thirty-five and all in OP weekdays. It's eight to seven Saturdays, eight to two. Learn more right now at KansasHealthSystem.com/slash/orthopedics. I'll start you with this. Give me a sleeper in this draft, someone no one's talking about that goes at least, let, let's say, past, it's certainly not in the first round, uh, but a guy that you're much higher on than maybe others. Oh, man, you say sleeper to me. I go I go deep. Uh, let's go Javon Baker, the wide receiver from Central Florida. Um, and Chiefs fans, if he's there in the third round, even if you take a receiver in round one, I would be very excited about his ability, uh, what he does after the catch, the way he tracks the ball. So, Javon Baker from Central Florida. Okay, I like that one. Uh, next up, uh, how many total Super Bowls does Patrick Mahomes win? Oh, my gosh, we're at three. I'm like, I'll go six. There we go. Great number. Um, all right, uh, who is the third best quarterback in this draft? 
Drink me. I think Jaden Daniels is second. Caleb Williams is first. Yeah, I figured that gave us your whole list there, if we put it to you that way. And finally, <laughs> in your life, have you ever stormed a court or a field? No, I haven't. Uh, no, I'm, I don't. I don't get that excited at the end of games. I was, I was at the Royals wild card baseball game. I was sitting about ten rows up on the third baseline. Yeah, that was the only time I've considered it. You know, it was like the the pandemonium of the extra innings for that to actually happen to realize, oh my God, the Royals are, are in the playoffs. We got a chance here. That was the closest I've ever been, and maybe I should have. Maybe I should have stormed the the diamond that night. Um, I think for your safety and your career and a lot of reasons, <laughs> right. I think you probably made the right choice. Uh, when it's all I said and done, in the dugout and broke my leg. Yeah, <laughs> Matt, great stuff. We uh, we always appreciate it, buddy. Thanks so much, and I'm sure we'll uh, we'll bother you again before the draft. Sounds great, guys. I appreciate. It. All right, you bet, Matt Miller. Uh, fantastic when it comes to covering the NFL draft. Uh, check out his great work at ESPN.com. Wrap things up. Come back with the kicker. We're almost done for the day, but there's just a few more things we'd like to share. But there's still more. Here's the kicker. Here's the kicker of this whole thing. On the program. But first, Joe's Kansas City Barbecue Burnt. End of the hour answer. Who hit the first NCAA tournament buzzer beater over a number one seed? He is 65 today. 65, so 43, 44 years ago, 45 years ago. 43 years ago. 43 years ago. 1980, buzzer beater over a number one seed, 81. Unlikely one seed. Not not a traditional power. They deserved it that year, but not a traditional power. Hmm. Was that like a South Carolina or a... I'm trying to think when they somebody... Who who they who who was the one seed? Oregon State. My God, they were the number one team. Playing some guy named Steve Johnson, who did not, I don't think, go into greatness. I think he played for he played Kings. in the league for a while. Played for the yeah. Blazers, and um, he shot like sixty seven percent from the field. Yeah, that that team was crazy. Uh, God, I have no idea who. Cover was. of Sports Illustrated, number twenty five, Rolando Blackman. Ro Blackman of your. Kansas State Wildcats. That's impressive. I like that. Joe's Kansas City Barbecue. Just gave it away. Yep. Joe'sKC.com. You can put your order in tonight. Grab it on your uh, way home. The best barbecue in town is at Joe's Kansas City Barbecue. 47th and uh, Mission, 119th and Strang Line, and 117th and Row. And don't forget about the Kansas City Barbecue Store. Beautiful weather. We had the grill going last night. My grill. Uh, we just uh, threw some burgers out on the uh, Weber. Got that at the uh, Kansas City Barbecue Store. Got my Traeger, uh, which we were uh, smoking. Smoking a uh, a brisket yes. uh, earlier. I uh, had that going. Take advantage uh, of this weather. Yeah, yeah just uh, just a week ago, they had nice. that in our Traeger grill, which we also got at the Kansas City Barbecue uh, Barbecue Store. Sauces, rubs, utensils, uh, everything you need is at the Kansas City Barbecue Store. The Kansas City BBQ Store dot com. Um, I suppose it's just any minute now before the fine comes down for the Kansas City Star. Did you see this? Mm-hmm. Haters. Uh, the University of Texas, no doubt, has reached out to the Big 12, and I'm sure a fine will ensue for the Kansas City Stars. Horns down. Headline. Yeah. McDowell's going to have to answer for that tomorrow at 4. Um, horns down. No problems with that. No problems with horns, or, or lots of problems with horns down, but go running out onto the court. 
with no regard for the people that are out there? No uh, problem. Can't take horns down in society, but we're okay with just a mass storming of a court. It's, it's funny how that works.